Well, it's been said that there are two great days in a person's life, the day they're born and the day they find out why. And I think, I think all of us in the room today know the day that they're born. My prayer for us this morning is that we would discover the why, that today would become one of those great days for you for me, for, for us, that we would discover the why of our life. Uh, in order to get to the why of our life, uh, I want us to go to the beginning. Uh, in Scripture, the beginning is called Genesis. Uh, now, that's not the text we're going to look at today. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 31 uh, as we look to discover our purpose. But in order to discover the purpose, we need to get back to the beginning. Uh, The very name Genesis means beginning. Uh, So as you turn to Genesis chapter 1, we're looking at the story of God creating the heavens and the earth. And you know the story, maybe you've heard it, you've read it, perhaps Uh, it says in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And and it talked about how the earth was without form and, and it was just this nebulous black place. And on the first day, uh, God separated the heavens from the earth. And, uh, and then the second day, night from the dark. And then the third day, he separated the seas, the waters above and the waters below. I don't know if I'm getting it right, but it's some, something like that. Uh, but at the end of each day of his creative work, God, the scripture says that God looked at what he had created, and he said, it is, do you know the word? It is good. Everybody say good. Good. Said God looked at his created work, and he said, it is good. Uh, And so when he created the the, the squirrels, and, and he created the chipmunks, and he created the rats, he said, it is, when he created mosquitoes, he said, it is I don't think mosquitoes happen until after Genesis 3. That's a good joke. All right. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. All right. So anyway, so at the end of each day, he looked at what he had created and he said, it is good. Now, look at Genesis 1 and verse 26, uh, on this sixth day of creation, and God said, let us make man in our own image and according to our own likeness. God determined that the crowning achievement of his creative act was creating man and woman, humanity. And, and so in verse 27, that's exactly what God did. It's going to come up on the screen. Uh, Genesis 1, 27, uh, it says, uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female He created them. And you look down in verse 31 and it says, And God saw everything that he had created, and he said, It was very, it was very good. Now, that term good is a term that points us to God's pleasure. God took great pleasure in creating. Uh, the birds and trees and fish and the seas uh, could make a song out of it, but he, he, he had great pleasure in his creation. But the greatest pleasure was in creating humanity. 
And before sin entered the scene of human history, that's Genesis 3, um, before sin entered the scene of human history and created a chasm between uh, humanity and God, before sin entered the scene of human history and, uh, and pummeled you and me with uh, a distraction from purpose, God wrote in the DNA of every human heart, in yours and mine, his pleasure. When God says it is good, he's talking about you and me made in the image of God. He's looking for you and me to understand that we were made for his pleasure. Our existence before sin entered the scene brought pleasure to the heart of God. And although he delights in us today, the sin that we have had has separated us from God so that we don't get to sing the song of God's pleasure, that, that, that even though the desire to please God is written in the DNA of every human soul, uh, our song is out of tune. And we're left wondering, why am I here? Skip over to the New Testament, to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 uh, is kind of a parallel passage to Genesis chapter 1 uh, in that it takes up the theme of creation again. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 15, it talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then verse 16, 17, and 18 Once again, God returns us to this song of his pleasure written in the DNA of our soul. Verse 16, uh, and it's not up on the screen yet, but verse 16, the first part says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Now pick it up. All things were created through him and for him. And we stop there just for a second. I, I want you to understand specifically what this is saying. This is saying that you and I were made through Jesus. And regardless of your view of the creative act, this second part is absolutely essential for us to understand. We were created through Jesus. We were created for Jesus. You and I were created for him, and not for ourselves, not for others, not, not for our friends, our neighbors, not even for our spouses or our, our special someones. We were created for God. It's this, this picture of being created for God that, that led the apostle Paul when he's talking to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he, he said, um, He said, therefore we make it our aim, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, therefore we make it our aim, our goal, our purpose, whether living or dead, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, give an answer for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. We were made for him. And so the Apostle Paul says, here's my purpose. It is God's pleasure. 
What is the why of your life? It's the same why that I have. It is to live for God's pleasure. Again, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and he's, he's, he's giving descriptions about, about how to live their lives and how to uh, operate as a church, and, and he makes this declaration. He says, all right, so whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you're doing, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the pleasure of God. And the Apostle Paul was so captured by this wonderful work of God creating him at the very beginning of time, but also that God took him a sinner, someone who had been separated from God by sin, like you and me, someone who had been separated from that that purpose that should be guiding us and directing us, that we've been made through God and for God. And the Apostle Paul was so captured that, that God in his grace sent Jesus to return him to the family of God, to bring him back into relationship with God. Uh, Jesus died for sinners like you and me on a cross to bridge that chasm that our sin had created. And the Apostle Paul knew it and felt it. And, and so he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he says, for the love of Christ constrains us, compels us, takes hold of us. For we judge it in this way, that if one died for all, then all have died. And Jesus died for all, so that, purpose, so that we who live should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. What is the why of our life? The why of our life is God's pleasure. Our purpose is God's pleasure. That's you. That's me. doesn't matter if you're old or young, if you're, uh, if you're uh, male or female. It doesn't matter uh, if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're in the Navy or a civilian. It doesn't matter your station or stature in life. We all have the same purpose. We have been created by him and for him. We exist with this song of God's pleasure written in the DNA of our heart. Everything makes sense when we live for God's pleasure. In Colossians 1, uh, verse 17, he says, uh, he, he goes on and he, and he talks about Jesus. He says, we, uh, we've all been made by him or through him and for him. And then verse 17 he goes on, he says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, hold together. Now, I, I know he's talking about the universe there. He's, he's talking about Jesus being the glue that holds the universe together. But I also think he's talking about you and me. I think he's talking about our life. What makes our life make sense is when Jesus is holding us together. And how do we live in such a way that the glue of Jesus 
holds our relationships together and, and brings satisfaction to our relationships and holds our families together and brings satisfaction to our families and, and holds my emotions together and brings me satisfaction in my emotions. How can I, as, as, as a simple person, experience satisfaction in all those places? It's when I live for his pleasure. When I live to please God, I'll be satisfied in the other areas of my life. But if I don't live to please God, then none of the areas of my life are going to make sense. What is the why of your life? The why of your life is to bring God pleasure with your every day, in your circumstances, in what you do and how you... And when we begin to understand the why, then it begins to help us with the what. When we begin to understand that I live for God's pleasure, I exist for God's pleasure, then it makes... It makes my what? Navigating the circumstances of my life, navigating my relationships, navigating my to-do list, navigating all those things that, that I face, they begin to make sense because the filter through which I decide how to live is for God's pleasure. So in Colossians 1, he says that, that in Jesus, all things hold together or consist, but then it says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Now, why does he bring the church into it? Why is the church uh, an important part of this living for God's pleasure? I, I think, I believe scripture teaches us that although we may view church as an occasional occurrence for us, maybe once a week, maybe twice a month, maybe once a month, what Scripture does is it paints church as an essential part, divinely designed, an essential part of us living out our purpose. God designed the church for us to live out the why in our everyday lives. God designed this, the gathering. Now, the, the gathering, whether it's at, at, at First Norfolk on uh, uh, Volvo or whether it's First Norfolk on Kempsville or whether it's Iglesia Bautista del Camino or whether it's our North African fellowship or our Haitian fellowship or our Russian fellowship. And God has created this church, First Norfolk, so that we might have a pathway to live out every day God's pleasure. It's, it's not an intangible, it's real life. Here's where we are in training to live for God's pleasure as the church. It's this gathering time where we discover the tools and, and, and the, the, the community and the strength uh, to live for God's pleasure. Not individually alone, but together. And Jesus is the head of the church. Now, we were made by Jesus and we were made for Jesus. And if Jesus is the head of the church, how we're connected to the church matters to him. How you're connected to the church matters to him. It helps us live out the why. One of the reasons why we're so disconnected from our purpose is because we are 
disconnected from the place where our purpose can come alive. Listen, you cannot Facebook faithfulness. You cannot Instagram intimacy. It takes the church, the body gathered together. And that's what Paul is getting at in the text this morning, 1 Corinthians 12. All that was introduction. Isn't that great? All that was introduction. So 1 Corinthians 12, what Paul does is he brings these, this beautiful picture of how God has designed us and how he's made us. And he brings it together in this beautiful picture of the church together. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 1 through 11, he's talking about the church and, and, and he's talking about spiritual gifts and how we're different but, but uniquely designed and brought together. And, and then verse 12 and 13, he describes this togetherness that we have as the body of Christ. And when he's talking about the body of Christ, he's not just talking about the general church. He's talking about First Baptist Church, Norfolk. He's talking about First Baptist Church Norfolk here at Volvo. He's talking about First Baptist Church Norfolk at Kipsville. He's talking about us connected at First Norfolk. This is the place. I mean, right here, this is the place. This is the community where we experience the opportunities to live out the why of our lives. All right, so, so as we're looking at this, I want us to uh, first kind of, kind of get the picture of what the church is. And I'm going to use just a, 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 silly, a, a silly picture, but it, it's important. I, I don't know if you know anything about Swiss watches, but uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Patek Philippe is a big deal, right? It, it, if you know, it, it's a big deal. And there, there was a Patek Philippe a Swiss watch that was commissioned in 1924 uh, by a guy, a, a prince dude, uh, not Prince, the music guy, but a prince. Uh, he, he commissioned this watch in 1924, and it was made. And this particular watch had over a thousand different parts to it. And the master craftsman made all of those individual parts. They weren't made in a foreign country someplace. They went and they made that the master craftsman made those individual pieces himself. And then he intricately took those thousand plus pieces and he put them together in, uh, with, with great care and precision, uh, each piece playing a vital role in the operation of that watch. And he created this work of art with great precision and with great care. A few years ago, that watch went on the auction block and it was sold for $24 million. So it's a pretty valuable watch too. Can I tell you what God is doing right here, right now? At First Norfolk, he has taken 4,000 plus different 
pieces that he has created himself, forged on the anvil of his salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 calls us individually a masterpiece, a work of art that he has created by rescuing us from sin's embrace and making us brand new. And he has made us this masterpiece individually, but not so that we could be individuals, but so that we could be part of, of something even more significant. He takes each of the 4,000 plus individual pieces of First Norfolk and he puts them together in just the right way, fitting each little gear and each little mechanism, each little piece to its proper place so that it works and fulfills its function of bringing God pleasure. And it's more worth more than $24 million. It is literally priceless. First Norfolk is priceless because God has created this wonderful masterpiece made up of every member that he brings together for his pleasure. So as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, I want you to just take note of a couple of things. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being, men, being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now, that's a lot of words. What's he saying? He's saying that the church is one body made up of a bunch of people. That's what he said. Why didn't he just say that? Because he's Paul. Verse 13, he goes on, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. It is the spirit of God that unites us and brings us to the family of faith called First Norfolk. It is the spirit of God that unites us. What this says is that the church is not a creation of individuals who decide to come together and sign a covenant, but rather the church itself, First Norfolk itself, is the creation of God himself where he brings together exactly the people that he wants together to accomplish the one singular purpose. Collectively, we live for God's pleasure. Individually, we live for God's pleasure. And God has brought us together and he's given us an identity that is different than perhaps the identity that you are used to. You see, he calls out whether Jew or Greek, uh, Jew or Gentile, whether slave or free, he's talking about identification. These are markers of who you are in community and society. And we have our own markers. Our, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm, 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 I'm 50. Uh, I'm 20. Uh, I'm, I'm married. I'm single. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm white. I'm black. I'm Asian. I, I, we have all these different markers that, that, that call out our identity. Even more specifically and probably even more practically, I'm a sailor. I'm a banker. I'm a homemaker. I'm a preacher. All those things are nice. And, and again, uh, those are markers that have identified us. But as followers of Jesus Christ, 
We don't carry those identities as though I live to check a box that I did my job description today. I, I'm not living to check a box that, that I've accomplished what a sailor is supposed to accomplish today. I encourage you to do it, but that's not your identity. Your identity is I am a rescued follower of Jesus Christ, part of his family, living for his pleasure as a member of First Baptist Church Norfolk. It's a totally different identity. So when we go into the seven cities of Hampton Roads, we are living according to a different identity. I'm a follower of Jesus. Brought into this family through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for my sin. I'm a follower of Jesus and I am living for God's pleasure. That is the song of my soul. That is the DNA that God has written on every human heart that makes everything else make sense. I'm a follower of Jesus, living for God's pleasure as a member, as part of this masterpiece that God has created called First Norfolk. We are identified as part of the family of faith, living for God's pleasure individually and corporately. That's the why of our life. And goes on. Down, look down in verse 18. Now, 14 and following, he talks about tongues and teeth and ears and nose and, and uh, different body parts, okay? So now, verse 18, uh, Paul says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You know what that means? Oh, it means that God has done the hard work of connecting the church members together as the singular body so that individually and collectively we have one singular priority and that is God's pleasure he's made us to live for his pleasure he is he has created a masterpiece of us individually on the anvil of salvation, he has made us brand new through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our repentance and faith in him. He's taken us out of the prison cell of our shame and our guilt, and he's given us a brand new life. He has made us brand new by grace through faith. We have been rescued, and now we're his special work of art individually. And now he has put us together in this masterpiece that he is creating, not the imagination of men or individuals trying to establish some new charitable organization so we can get a tax break, but rather God in his divine design has brought us together, has uniquely called and qualified you and me so that we are one body in Christ, so that we individually and corporally can live for his pleasure. And as we live for his pleasure, everything else in our life begins to make sense. What a beautiful picture of who we are, gifted uniquely. I'm not going to talk about it this week, but, but, but we are each one gifted in a unique way. Spiritual gifts, and I'm, I'm not spending a lot of time on that, but all of you have been given these unique gifts by the Spirit, unique signatures of the Spirit of God upon the, the little gears that you are so that each one of us fitted together might accomplish one purpose to the praise of the glory of God. 
We have been given all that we need as followers of Jesus to live out the why of our lives. So let's not mess it up. Let's not mess it up. Let's not mess it up by thinking it's okay to live an individual life separated from the body of Christ as though it doesn't matter. See, if we live for God's pleasure, being part of the people that he has created is like oxygen to our lungs. It's like strength to our muscles. It's food for our body. It is fulfillment of the why of our life. This, what we're doing today, it's not a small thing. It is living out the masterpiece that God has created in us and for us. So we need to, we need to get active. We need to get involved. And again, I don't want to devolve from masterpiece to doing stuff. But if you look at the Patek Philippe 1924 Henry Garville watch, the reason it's a masterpiece is because the individual parts do stuff. You're here so that you might do do for God's pleasure, do for God's glory. You know, people talk about what is my purpose and, and they've defined it in different ways and, and followers of Jesus have understood throughout centuries that the reason we exist uh, is to bring pleasure to God. Uh, if you're from a different faith tradition than us free will and Baptists, you know that there are confessions and creeds. And those are important things in our history as a church. And if you don't know any of the confessions and creeds, I encourage you to go back and read them. Uh, there are some Baptist uh, creeds and confessions as, or Baptist confessions as well. Uh, but the Westminster Confession is one that many Baptists have adopted. And the very first part of the Westminster Confession says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know what that means? Live for God's pleasure. And the good news is that he's given the church as his work of art to fulfill that journey, that purpose. So how can you take some next steps in, in living for God's pleasure, specifically through the church? Now, the first thing is you need to embrace your place. Now, you've got a place. It's called First Norfolk. Have you embraced it? Not, not sat on the sidelines or, or spectated from the stands, but rather have you uh, fulfilled what God has commissioned and designed you to do and taken your place at First Norfolk? Have you become part of the family of faith that you are attending? I don't get all this. I'm attending, but I'm not a member. What? That's craziness. Why? Look, we need you. Do you, do you realize that? You take out one of the little 
uh, pieces of a, uh, of a Patek Philippe. I'm having a hard time with that word, but, but a Patek Philippe, you take one of the little pieces out, it stops functioning right. We need you. We need you so that we can fulfill the purposes that God has given us so that we can bring him pleasure as a church. We need you. By the time I preach my third message on a Sunday morning, I have two toes that start hurting. Uh, It's not my pinky toe on my left foot, but it's the the, uh, ring finger toe on my left foot and then the middle toe on my left foot and they start hurting and it, it, it just, it begins to pain me and, and they get a little bit numb and I know I probably ought to go to the doctor, but I'm not going to, and it, it, it get, get a little bit numb and, and, and that kind of thing. And, but then the pain starts shooting up into my knee and then when it shoots up and then in my hip and then, and then my hip starts hurting right here. And, and then, and then I start walking kind of cockeyed like this. I, you know, it, it just starts with two little toes, not getting what they need and when two little toes are not functioning properly in the in the body it affects everything it doesn't matter if you're a little toe or even a toenail in the church at least I didn't call you like a wart or something right It, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what body part you are You are part of the body. And we need you, not on the sidelines, not in the stands, but on the field so that we can accomplish God's purposes of bringing God pleasure. We need to embrace our place. And the second thing is we need to uh, discover our unique design. This goes back to the giftedness. In weeks ahead, we're going to have a class that's going to be running on Sunday mornings that talks about this design that we have, how that God has gifted us uniquely, spiritually, how the Spirit of God has given us unique giftedness to be exercised in the body of Christ. We need to embrace our place. We need to discover our design. Uh, Until you get that class, you go online, you Google spiritual gift test. And you can take that. If you want to know more about who you are, do an Enneagram, Enneagram, Enneagram. I'm an eight or a five. I don't think I'm a nine. Whatever I am. But it helps you understand who you are and how God has gifted you. Not so that you can do better in business, but so that you can fulfill the function, live by the why that God has given you in and through the church. Discover your divine design. Now, why does all this matter? Ultimately and finally, why does all this matter? Well, other than it being the DNA of who we are, other, other than it being the song of our soul that, that we have as followers of Jesus to live for God's pleasure, when we live for God's pleasure, we're doing what Jesus came to do. And that is to show people who God is. If you go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it talks about how Jesus, who is the head of the body, the church, came to make peace between God and humanity through his death on the cross. How that Jesus came with this ministry of reconciliation 
by showing them who God is. And we are his body. And when we live according to our why every day, we begin to show people who Jesus is. Can I tell you that when we live for God's pleasure, we're going to look like Jesus? It's just that simple. And when the church lives for God's pleasure, we look like Jesus. And when we look like Jesus, we're helping people who are still drowning in darkness and in separation from God. We're helping them find a bridge to forgiveness, life, and hope. Why does it matter? Because you and I have been commissioned by God to help others, those who are far from him, find life in Christ. I got to tell you, there are very few times in my life where I have felt more purposeful than when I've helped another person who is far from God experience the new life that Jesus offers. The same is true for each and every one of you. Today, I just want to challenge you to consider how am I living for God's pleasure? Are there places in my life where I've decided I'm not going to live for God's pleasure in this way or that way? Will you today let those things go? Will you just consider in these next few moments, will you just consider how you are reflecting Jesus to a watching world?